You've probably heard it all before, but this time, let Dr. Lanker connect the dots in a way that makes the Christian faith come alive. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Lanker, and I'm here to help you connect the dots. As a pastor and professor for the last 30 years, I want to help you not only understand the Christian faith, but to make it a transformative part of your everyday experience. Join me as we connect the dots. If you've been following along with us over the past couple episodes, you know that we're trying to answer a large question. Can you be saved, have eternal life in heaven, enter the kingdom of God, and not be a disciple? We've unpacked eternal life in heaven, and so today we need to turn to the concept of heaven. First, in order to engage that concept, I want to ask a preliminary question. And I think this really helps us to be able to grasp this concept of what heaven is about and where it is at. This question is, where is God? And, and if you've spent any time in church, you would answer that pretty quickly saying, he's omnipresent. And, and we might actually go to the words of Paul in Acts chapter 17, verse 28, when he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. That is a concept that is pretty familiar to us. Unfortunately, I'm not sure we really believe it very often. Because if we really believe that in him we lived and moved and have our being, when I got up to go to the kitchen, I would literally be walking in God. When I got in an airplane and was flying across the country, I would literally be flying in God. No matter where I went, there he would be. And that's the exact concept that the psalmist writes in Psalm 139. Where could I go from your presence? Where could I flee from your spirit? If if I went to the very highest of heights, whoa, you're there. If I went to the very depths of everything, even there, your right hand would hold me. There's no place that I could flee from your presence. So although we use the word or the concept of God being omnipresent, we, we have a hard time really grasping that and living into it. In fact, when he says that he fills all things, it, it just it doesn't seem to compute. And so much so that we miss some really great truth that Paul speaks about in Colossians chapter 1, when in verse 15 he says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. What, what Paul's trying to paint here is a, is a picture for these ancient peoples who see the heavens and the earth as these visible and invisible realms that God watches over, that he takes care of. And, and the heavens are not just blank. They're full of life. And, and Paul shows this when he says that the heavens and the earth have thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. That's the exact order that the Roman Empire used to be able to organize their people. If we have that kind of structure for a small planet with 7 billion people on it, and and we don't use the thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities, but we use nations and states and counties and cities, 
if, if we have that kind of structure for that small of a life form on that small of a planet and the whole entire galaxy, how much life is out there? How, how full is this universe of invisible beings that are structured into nations and into states and all of this? Paul's trying to say, this is big. But here's the thing. All of it, visible and invisible, is held together in, in God because he is omnipresent. This is why whenever you see any pictures on the internet that show this big old huge cloud nebula that's taking up 10 galaxies and they say, look, we found the finger of God. No, you didn't. Because the moment you say, there he is, you're saying, there he isn't. And he's everywhere all at once. So he's not going to be located to one particular place, no matter how grand and large within our universe. In fact, he's so big that he is so close. Doesn't make sense, does it? Well, hopefully this helps you a little bit as we look at Acts chapter 10. And I ask you this question. If God is omnipresent, then, then where is heaven? Because that's God's dwelling place, right? I mean, let, let's just go to the famous prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father who art, oh, in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So, so God's kind of home address is heaven. And, and if we take the logical inference here, we say, well, if God's everywhere and his dwelling place is heaven, then heaven is everywhere as well. Which would mean when you got up and walked to the refrigerator, you were walking in heaven. When you were on an airplane flying across the country, you were flying in heaven. Does not seem to compute at all until we get a little bit of a fuller perspective. And I find that fullest perspective explained best in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, this is Peter's vision that he's going to have to be able to go see Cornelius and about Jews being okay to eat with Gentiles. But there's a word that's used there that is the word oranos. In Greek, it's translated as heaven. But we're going to see that in your version and many of our versions, it's translated differently because we have a hard time conceiving of heaven being literally this place that is as present as what God is. And so as I read through this, I want you to just go back at whatever time you can and look at how your translation translates, verses 9 to 16. I'm going to read through. It says, On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance, and he saw the Uranos opened up, and an object like a great sheet coming down lower by four corners to the ground, and there was in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the Uranos. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again a voice came, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the Uranos. In your translation, it's going to say sky, air, heaven. It's going to translate it differently because that's how we conceive of the heavens. But for the Greeks, for the Jews, 
for the Romans, for almost every ancient culture, they thought of the heavens as anything without physical space. So the heavens were the place that the birds flew because they flew in something without physical space. That was the first heavens. The second heavens was the place where the stars and the planets were found. And the third heavens was the place that God, being in and through it all, where he existed. He, it was just, it encapsulated absolutely everything. So when we see that the heavens are present, we see that the heavens are present within what is invisible. And this fits exactly with what we see in Colossians chapter 1. Remember how we said, in him all things are held together? Well, if you're a really nerdy person and you love science and physics and all that kind of stuff, if you were to look at our bodies, our bodies have the appearance of physicality, but they are riddled with space. God lives in and through all of his creation. Literally, in him, all things are held together. This is why he knows every hair on your head and every thought on your tongue before you ever say it. Why? Not because he's brilliant, which God is, but because he lives with us. He knows us intimately, and his care for us is rich, so rich that he cannot stay distant from us. And this is shown in one of the best examples that I can think of in Luke chapter 2. The angels show up at Jesus' birth, and they proclaim that, hey, God has sent his Messiah. And so I just want to unpack this just to give you an example of how close the heavens are because the angels are what kind of beings? They're heavenly beings. So wherever they're coming from, they're coming from heaven. And so if they come from here, this shows us where the heavens are at. Chapter 2, starting in verse 8, it says, In the same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now one of the things I want to point out before we get into this is that shepherds were most wide awake in the night. The reason why is because that's when the predators come. And if the predators come and take the sheep, it's not the owners who pay for the loss of the sheep. It's these shepherds. So they are looking for every twig, anything out of the ordinary. These are people without electricity. These are people without planes. These are people without bright lights. And what happens in this scene? In verse 9, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. Where did this angel come from? Every time you've been part of a Christmas presentation, what has happened is that they, they've taken some little kid, they put them in white, and they put them as high up as possible to be able to show that this angel that they're representing is coming from the heavens. Because the heavens, for sure, aren't with us. But here in Luke chapter 2, it says that the angel stands before them out of the heavens. And after his proclamation to not be afraid, which they are terribly frightened as they should be, in verse 13, it says, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude. In Greek, it's literally a thousand times a thousand, which if you're good at math, that's a million. A million heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. The heavens are present. God is present. This is why he regularly speaks 
out of the heavens. This is why he can ascend up into the heavens and we can walk right out of the heavens and stand with us as angels. Everything without physical space is an entrance into the realm which God inhabits. And this realm is not far from us. It is not something that we will go to when we die that is billions and billions of light years away. But in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, finally the light of heaven that has always been there in front of us will shine onto our souls and we will see him as he is. In the meantime, Paul gives us this great assurance that comes right before the great passage in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. And I just want to finish with this. In verse 4 it says, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him. Where? In the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. When Jesus Christ went back into the heavens after his resurrection, he was not lying to you and me when his last words in Matthew were, hey, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Because by entering into the heavens, the man who was located in one place in one moment of time, was now given access to all time and space and could be there constantly with us through every trial, through every temptation, to celebrate with us when things go great and to fill us with God's grace at every single moment that we need it. We have been connected with the Eternal One in His heavenly realm And there is nothing that can ever separate us from that love. That is a great truth. And that is what we need to begin to understand and experience and live into if we are really going to know eternal life in heaven. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast. And if you'd like more information, please visit us at drjasonlanker.com. That's D-R-Jason-L-A-N-K-E-R. May you go in the grace of God, and may you not just understand the Christian faith, but live it more fully this week.